0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Dan Baer's interview with the composer for The Goldfinch, Trevor Gorekis. hi Trevor hello um, <laughs> so I wanted to start um, by talking a little bit about uh, your history and your work prior to the goldfinch um, this is not your first film score uh, but it is the first narrative feature anyway that you've scored that has been released so you're a little bit new to a lot of people I think in film but you have done a lot of work previously, uh, concert work, and you composed music for a ballet, and you produced uh, for Kanye West, and you assisted for Philip Glass and Nico Muley. Mm-hmm. How has have all these things sort of informed where you ended up doing work for um, for this film?
1: I think it's one of those things where you kind of find your way by your experience kind of uh almost like you're you're taking on a a, a river of uh, different um, opportunities you find that the best places or the best opportunities in front of you you just kind of like go with it and so like my undergrad degree was in a uh, piano performance uh so at that time i was pretty sure i was going to be a classical pianist hmm. um and I was like, well, that's it. That's going to do that. So, by my <laughs> senior year of uh, college, this was at UT Austin. Um, I started to get into composing because I really loved the music of like living composers and and uh, or you know more recent composers at least um, like uh, Ligeti and I was even getting into Philip Glass at the time. And so I started writing music, and then I went to Yale for. Uh, composition and I was full on alright I'm going to write symphonies and operas that's like it that's like my plan and then once I, well, I interned for Philip for uh, my uh, two years two year program so my both of the summers there um, I sort of like saw that you really need to be very self sufficient obviously as mm. a composer but also open to basically anything that comes your way and <laughs> And uh, be prepared and learn all the skill sets you need. And it's not like I mean that Philip is like going to be able to pull out a hip hop beat or anything. But (laughs) if someone was like, you know, Kanye West really needs like Philip to write like an arrangement for uh, something like he'd be like, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: I would like to hear Philip Glass do hip hop actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's actually come up, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, he would do, you know, some string arrangement and it would sound amazing because he's got that kind of pattern and, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't work. But the idea being that like, it, you know, being open to all the possibilities and avenues as a composer, that are presented in front of you. So, you know, I worked for uh, for Philip for a, a while. I worked, and Nico was working for Philip at the time. And then he got really busy himself. So then I kind of took his job. That's kind of like the the musical chairs that happened.
2: Okay. Um,
1: and that's what happened also with another composer, Alex Weston. He 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 was my intern, and now he works there. And he's he did the score for the farewell. Uh, he's really oh wow. Talented. You know, I did that, and then I was actually developing or building a music company with another composer named Jay Wadley. And we were kind of... He was working for Rufus Wainwright, and it was uh, on his opera. Uh, and it was an apprenticeship kind of world where we were like, mm-hmm. well, how are we going to make a living? How are we going to figure this out? And we kind of just slowly built up opportunities off of opportunity, and then it's kind of like building each other's courage. (laughs) It's like, we can do this. We can do this as a team. Um, We didn't like compose together, but we were just, you know, partners in terms of support and, um, you know, things led to another thing and meeting people. And in this case, I had worked with, uh, Sue Jacobs, the music supervisor, who's incredible. And she did like big little lies and, um, uh, sharp objects and just mm. like some of the best uh, music supervision ever and uh, i worked with her on a small independent film called wetlands and she's asked me many times in the past you know oh you know, give it a shot at this or give it a shot at this film and and they were all just like you know you try and you try and nothing happens and that's totally cool and this is the same kind of situation it was you know and often the case is the caveat is you know you don't really have any credit so (laughs) and this was definitely the case because it was like well this is like a Hollywood, you know studio film and you don't really have a a shot at this (laughs) but like (laughs) why don't you write some music and think about the themes and the colors and the you know you don't have a lot of time you have to like do this in a couple days, but want to give it a shot. And so I wrote like uh, the first piece of music, which is the first piece of music that's in a film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's actually the first thing that I ever wrote for this. And it just connected well with John. And, uh, you know, over time, I just kept writing more music, trying to get my music into uh, earlier cuts as they were, you know, struggling to find the right music tone for the film. Um, So I was trying to fill in the gaps. I was like, not even hired the composer yet. I was just writing music, just throwing them piano music and violin Mm. music, orchestra, you know, temp stuff that they could just temp into the film because they needed some direction. And Sue was like, yeah, just keep sending stuff.
0: (laughs) So you really helped shape this movie, it sounds like, (laughs) before you were even hired.
1: (laughs) Oh Well, yeah, we were all – it's funny. It was – you know, I think John – And I've I've said this, you know, none of the interviews I've ever done have been published yet, so maybe (laughs) they'll all happen at once. (laughs) But I've mentioned this that I that you know, this is my theory. I've never necessarily talked to John about this, but his background in theater might have something to do with the somewhat collaborative quality that I felt with this film. Mm. That you know, you workshop a lot in that realm and that we kind of had that atmosphere there the music team was you know me the composer sue jacobs the music supervisor and nancy allen the music editor and the three of us were really just like thinking of like oh try this or this and presenting it to john and john of course would be like no i don't like that or yeah let's try let me think about it and you know sit on it but we would all kind of play with ideas or play with, it was weird. It was not weird. (laughs) (laughs) It was a more collaborative. uh, It was almost like a team thought process. The hive mind. Is it that stupid term? Sure. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, we were, we were trying to figure it out. Um, And it's a hard movie to figure out because there's a lot of different tonal changes. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different, uh, you know, twists of the, colors and you know yeah. it, so many different directions you could go with the music mm-hmm. and you know i can't remember how we came up with this except my own kind of aesthetic interest and in how i thought it could go but certainly john wanted it to be a lot darker than the first inclination i think people might have thought the goldfinch would sound like
0: yeah i had you read the novel before you started working on the film project at all
1: no i hadn't read the novel before i I had seen, you know, since you're you're the music is so last second really, mm-hmm. uh, part of the process. Like I had seen maybe um his cut, his director's cut or like before a little before that.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: but at the the time that I had I, you know, got the, the audio book and I was like I had I have to like simultaneously watch this you know, have it on my Kindle and, you know, like do all these things so that I can get like some of the, the stylistic nature of her writing yeah. head, at least. And then, um, you know, see what they're doing with, uh, Roger Deacon's cinematography, which disinformed a lot for me
2: because
1: mm. I'm really scoring the film uh, and it's a movie. I mean, it's yeah, not the book and i think that's one thing that uh and i like, i mean you know i've been trying to think about it more and more and i've i've seen it about 3 times no i know exactly i've seen it 3 times <laughs> yeah, how many times did i walk out no oh, I, no I've seen, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I've
1: seen it exactly i've seen it 3 times since december cuz that's when i finished hmm. um that's when we all wrapped up and we were like all right see you and whenever i don't know what the name.
0: <laughs> whenever it's finished yeah yeah
1: and you know, I, you know, it's, it's really different. It has different ideas and it's different because it's not the book. And I think that mm-hmm. is uh, an element that we even talked about when we were, you know, kind of in still in theory land, John was thinking out loud while we were recording it and it wasn't changing the recording session, but it was just, you know, he thinks a lot about, what's going on and the ideas that are happening and and you know he's just what just thinking about how this movie will sit relative to the book because obviously that's a huge like question mm. but um you know for me i always thought of it as being uh, a different thing and that's important
0: yeah sure um you you had mentioned something that actually struck me um when I was listening to the score by itself um that was like it goes a lot of different places this plot um both physically you know there's um Hobart and Blackwell's and the museum and the barber's apartment in las Vegas and amsterdam and and also tonally, there's a lot of different things happening here um and one of the really fascinating, wonderful things about this score, I think, is that you manage to find all these different tones and all these different moments, but also um, connect them. And I think that has to do with the the interplay between the electronic and orchestral pieces of the score. Can you talk a little about your decision to intermingle those two or how you tried to manage to get all these different tones To play together in the music as well as the images.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm always, I always love electronics and orchestral instruments and the pairing of the two just sort of naturally. So I kind Mm. of come at music in that, at least currently, um, from that place. But I also felt like in this situation, um, I had this big orchestra, you know, we had decided that it needed to be. It's a big movie. It's going to be on a big screen, so mm-hmm. I needed to feel like yeah, yeah, theater. That was a huge state, like a huge part of it. It's like it needs to start like you're in a, a big movie, and um, the electronics play this kind of um, this role of uh, to me. It's it's when one when one kind of overtakes the other, and then yeah. they add certain elements of grit and energy in different parts so like i thought thought about it about th- this way it's like um the three parts of theo's journey being like theo yeah in new york after mm-hmm. the I mean, that music you know the electronics have like they're they're there and they're and, and they in the instrumentation it's more ambient it's not like um in a place where it's not like the two elements of the orchestral and the electronic elements are um, intertwined in a way yet. They haven't like grown together. Mm -hmm. And when we get to Las Vegas and that one long cue, which is like the hardest piece of music that I wrote for this, this film where he's being transported all the way from New York to the hot sand deserts of, uh, Las Vegas. Um, that's where the the electronics really come alive and they just pulse through and they break out of the orchestra. And, um, I wanted the world of Las Vegas to really buzz and beat and have like, um, kind of a, um, surreal world and foreign, Mm. um, you know, just as he was feeling that way himself, you know, um, And then when we come back to New York, again, when he's an an adult, it's like the music kind of comes back to it's a little bit more traditional tonality a little bit. Mm. But like we've the electronics have this new edge to them that I think I've kind of pulled across from Las Vegas. It's like I'm kind of dragging them in. And so those kinds of edgy edgier sound are now part of the vernacular i mean it's obviously it gets into this thriller world, which makes more sense uh to do such a thing mm-hmm. to begin with. but um there's also you know uh, like I'm trying to to enhance that uh engagement between those two in a very um vivid and uh The the instruments are playing all sorts of extended techniques and they're, you know, scratching their uh, violins or scratching their instrument uh, bows and their Mm. strings and all sorts of like weird sounds, Um, even though we're in the New York world, you know.
0: Yeah, there is that that Vegas um, moment does sort of like it's like that point in the story where there's before and after, which is one yeah. of the first things that Theo says in, in the film, that everything is before and after. And before that, those electronics, they do sort of, they almost mirror like the ash in the museum where it's sort of like this haze over everything. Yeah. And then in Vegas, they kind of explode. Right. And the music after that, it's similar, but it's not the same. The electronics there, they play a bigger part in that. Yeah. Um, and I, Really like that. There's this sort of like, there's a sense of discovery uh, that I think is present in a lot of the tracks, and he's making a lot of discoveries about himself, particularly in the first part of the film. And was that something that you were conscious of when you were, when you were writing it, or am I, just, am I pulling that yeah, out of I my mean, butt? <laughs> no,
1: I mean, I always like to write music that has some element of you know intrigue or interest in itself. Mm. but certainly i mean it, her writing is that way too you know so it's like mm. i feel like I, I i was playing into those into that world and i felt like it was wasn't too much you know it was like there's like movies where a drone is like the best thing to do yeah and this is not that kind of movie
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know it's like i don't feel like it's heavy handed scoring but i could see where in another movie this kind of scoring could totally be not the right thing of course yeah. right it's too much stuff it's too much music quote-unquote music there's too Is much right? going on there's too much this too much you know and so it's it's doing a lot there's a lot of things that are that are internalized probably you know that like we can see in in the cinematography we can you know that I'm kind of pulling out in the music. you know yes. there's a lot of people doing a lot of work trying to, <laughs> trying to you know see what's going on that's not said. Mm-hmm. And that's the difficulty of making this movie in the first place because of yeah. the um, the quiet nature of people not talking <laughs> in
0: a yeah definitely there's a lot of not talking that happens in this movie <laughs> i will say like i think that it, um that for me was one of the things that really resonated about the score i felt like it was doing um not that not that everyone else in the involved in working on the film was not doing this but i feel like the score was really doing a lot of heavy lifting in terms of letting us inside these characters and letting us feel what was going on in this moment and not in in a heavy handed way.
1: Yeah. And that's, you know, some people look at that and they think that that's a problem when John and I were talking about it and we would talk through every scene and he wouldn't be like, um, you know add a violin here or make it piano and electronics here he would never talk about that he talked talk about internal thoughts or where Theo is in his life or I mean like really kind of the stage direction concepts you know like it's talking to me like I was an actor you know? hmm. and then so when the music's doing a lot of heavy lifting you know, doing a lot. Like, so what? <laughs> like, <laughs> is there a problem here? I don't
2: understand. <laughs> yeah. You know,
1: you're like, it's like a criticism to, uh, to the, to you know, the the, Eric, the the actors are you know Theo is a, a fucking drugged out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? So like, what do you want them to do? Both overdo it, and then the music's too much, and then you create a melodrama. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's a complicated relationship, but. You know, sometimes the music does need to do a lot and that's like not a problem because I think, you know, like my favorite movie, 2001, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. Yeah. Good, are
0: good taste, sir. Good taste.
1: I mean, so there's nothing that happens in that movie. Nothing is said essentially. And it's all about the movie giving the music and the image giving you a sense, a vague sense of what it even means. So... Um, and this isn't anything like that but the concept is yeah. that music has an important role here and I'm advocating that that's okay you know mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't need to be the case all the time not everyone needs to be the star of the show and I'm not saying I'm that either <laughs> right. but just saying that like we talked about John and I and you know Sue Jacobs and Nancy Allen we talked about music in that way and that's that was the goal and that's what we tried to do. It wasn't because we were like, oh shit, we have a problem here. We gotta like solve this issue. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: We actually intentionally made music this way. It wasn't like an accident. I didn't stub my toe. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and make the score.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I actually think that's a perfect place to end on. All right. Um, so thank you so yeah, much for much. talking. That was that is it's really interesting to hear about, you know, the process and and what it was yeah. like for you.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure.
1: (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thank you
0: so much for listening to Dan Bayer's interview with the composer for The Goldfinch, Trevor Gurekis, here on the next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acas, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us the goldfinch is now available to stream and to be purchased on blu-ray and we are asking for your consideration for Trevor's score for best original score category at the academy awards thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time